everybody and welcome back to the Concussion Recovery Guide. It was so exciting to see your overwhelming response and enjoyment of the first couple chapters that we've released so far in this pre-launch. Today we're going to share with you Chapter 7, How to Identify and How to Prepare for Post-Concussion Syndrome. This topic is one of the largest topics that comes up with frequent questions wondering how do they know if they've got post-concussion syndrome, will they definitely get post-concussive syndrome, and I think this will answer a lot of your questions and really just shine the light on post-concussive syndrome symptoms and the actual long, silent, invisible journey it is. Describing, identifying, and testing for concussions and post-concussion syndrome. Chapter 7. How to Identify and How to Prepare for Post-Concussion Syndrome. As a mother with a son who has suffered three concussions to date, one being severe, I have seen the behind the scenes of someone struggling with post-concussion syndrome, the disbelief from others, and the feelings they carry of being misunderstood. In the first few hours and days after a concussion, it is common to experience some dizziness, poor concentration, and other symptoms. These symptoms can even worsen due to the secondary injury and metabolic cascade that follows the primary injury, which is covered in detail in Chapter 5. Post-concussion syndrome is a complex disorder in which various symptoms such as headaches and dizziness can last for weeks and sometimes months after the injury that caused the concussion. In my son's case, it took a complete year before all of the post-concussion syndrome symptoms were gone after his first concussion. Post-concussion syndrome, like concussions, can be unique in nature. The initial injury from the concussion like the bruising, swelling, ionic disturbances, metabolic changes, transmission interruptions, and injury to the brain will heal, then sometimes the patient develops post-concussion syndrome. Doctors cannot initially detect which concussion patients may or may not develop post-concussion syndrome, but one way to reduce the probability and severity of post-concussion syndrome is to implement a concussion protocol system within the first 24 hours and rest the brain. Post-concussion syndrome is an entirely separate ailment following a concussion and traumatic brain injury that can bring its own set of symptoms and issues. A character trait of post-concussion syndrome is that symptoms continue longer than would be expected from the nature of the injury and often get worse over time, whereas symptoms directly related to the head injury are worse at the beginning and slowly improve. Some experts believe post-concussion symptoms are caused by structural damage to the brain or disruption of neurotransmitter systems resulting from the impact that caused the concussion. Others believe post-concussion syndrome symptoms are related to psychological factors, especially since the most common symptoms are headache, dizziness, and sleep problems, which are similar to those often experienced by people diagnosed with depression, anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder, known as PTSD. In many cases, both physiological effects of brain trauma, emotional reactions to these effects, and how the healing process was handled play a role in the development of symptoms. Researchers haven't determined why some people develop persistent post-concussive syndrome and others do not. There is also no proven connection between the severity of the injury and the likelihood of developing persistent post-concussive syndrome symptoms. Sometimes, there can be a lull of symptoms between a concussion and the onset of post-concussion syndrome. 
This can often make people feel discouraged, as post-concussive syndrome can be seen as a major setback in the recovery process. Regardless of why post-concussion syndrome occurs is irrelevant and does not change the fact that it can be a long and challenging journey. If there is not a clear separation in time between symptoms, it can appear as though the concussion injury is causing the increase in severity of symptoms. So it is important to know the difference between the initial concussion symptoms and concussion syndrome symptoms. It can also help to keep a log or journal during the initial days and even weeks following a concussion to have a clear understanding of symptoms. You can also use a digital voice recorder on your phone if you do not want to journal or write because of concussion symptoms. There is a concussion symptom log located in the third section of this book along with a link so you can download as many copies as necessary for the duration of recovery. Usually, after the first 48 hours, no new bleeding on the brain or swelling will occur, so a slight increase or appearance of certain symptoms listed below could be the result of a secondary injury due to the damage to the neurons, brain cells, or the onset of post-concussion syndrome. If there are ever any concerns, it is always best to call the ER or check with your doctor to make sure everything is okay. Peace of mind can sometimes be a strong medicine. Post-concussion syndrome symptoms. Post-concussion syndrome symptoms include headaches, dizziness, fatigue, irritability, anxiety, insomnia, loss of concentration and memory, and noise and light sensitivity. Headaches that occur after a concussion can vary and may feel like tension type headaches or migraines. Most, however, are tension type headaches which may be associated from a neck injury that happened at the same time as the head injury. For instance, in a whip-like lash movement during a car accident resulting in a coup countercoup injury. Dizziness can also be caused by a knock to the head of sort that can dislodge grit in the balanced parts of the ear, like a vertigo. There can be no particular reason found for the symptoms and tests such as MRI brain scans can come back as normal. People often experience behavior or emotional changes after concussions and during post-concussive syndrome. Others may notice that the person has become more irritable, suspicious, argumentative, or stubborn. It is during the tsunami that a wave of symptoms can arise and it seems as though recovery begins to take a major setback. By remembering that the first 48 hours are crucial in reducing the impact of post-concussive syndrome and implementing a concussion protocol system, you can reduce the risk of long-term post-concussive syndrome recovery. I believe my son's first concussion experience was so severe and recovery time took so long due to the fact no concussion plan was put into play and we missed that initial window critical for proper healing. Post-concussive syndrome is a very legitimate ailment that can sometimes come with debilitating symptoms. As these symptoms persist and time goes by, others can unintentionally lose compassion or empathy. Patience, support, and endurance of those around the individual suffering from post-concussive syndrome are needed for complete recovery. The neurologist, psychiatrist, and medical doctors can prescribe prescription medications to try and help reduce post-concussive syndrome symptoms. You can also choose natural remedies to help heal and detox the brain. Neurological drugs also have side effects and can alter the body's natural production of chemicals, making them sometimes difficult to get off of. Some of the key neurological psychiatric drugs on the market 
can be very damaging to vital organs like your liver when used over time. When possible, it is best to heal the body without sacrificing other areas of the body. Help your body heal while focusing on complete and total wellness. Psychiatric Medications and Post-Concussion Syndrome, A Personal Story I would like to go back to my son's story and tell you a personal experience we had during his walk through post-concussive syndrome. Unfortunately, many people, including myself, did not understand this aftermath of a concussion, and it was a long, difficult journey. After initially being cleared from his concussion, the dizziness ringing in his ears like a tinnitus and headaches became so severe they would be completely debilitating at times. It was all he could do to sit up, and the light sensitivity was so extreme that he just wanted to lay in a dark room. It was heartbreaking for me to see him like this, and I was forced to watch as he became more and more dejected, just wanting to return to his normal self. During this time, the school believed he appeared to be fine, because he didn't have any visible injuries on the outside. They began to project an attitude of disbelief and disregard for his condition and the continued symptoms. After time went by, with these continued symptoms, his neurologist and concussion specialist suggested he be seen. We made the two-hour commute, and he was admitted into the hospital for concussion evaluation and treatment. I remember we both felt so relieved, expecting to find this amazing cure that would return him to the physically active boy he used to be. In efforts to reduce his headaches, the doctor administered an anti-epileptic drug called Depakote, or valproic acid via IV. Depakote is a common drug used to treat migraines, seizures, and mood disorders in children and adults. Initially, I wasn't concerned and trusted the doctors. After all, up to this point, it had been all misery. I just wanted him to have some relief. After the first hour of receiving the drug, he began to say that he was having a difficult time moving his legs. I thought maybe he just needed to stretch and move about a bit. He hung his legs over the side of the bed, struggling, and stood up very slowly. He looked as though he was balancing on wobbly stilts. I asked him if he was okay, and he said his legs felt like they were too small for his body. I thought that was odd, and we contacted the nurse to discuss this with the doctor. They didn't seem concerned and continued to administer the Depakote via IV. At about two and a half hours into the treatment, he got up and tried to use the bathroom but his legs buckled underneath him, and he reached out to the IV pole to catch himself. I offered my assistance, but he assertively told me he could do it himself. His frustration, yet persistence, was very evident, so I stepped back. He was not used to having to depend on me so much and get the help, and he did not like it at all. He proceeded to the bathroom, holding onto the pole, dragging his legs across the floor. I alerted the nurse again regarding the increase in lack of mobility to his legs, but they continued the Depakote drip without concern. After six hours of treatment, he lost complete mobility in his legs, and he couldn't even stand up by himself. His description of the feeling was consistent, and he said it felt like he had little legs that couldn't hold up his body. I was done at this point and called the nurses and called his neurologist and asked them to please discontinue the treatment. The neurologist insisted to me this was not the result of the drugs, as they had not come across any such reaction before. As any mama bear might do, I completed research throughout the night on this drug and came across a girl my son's age who had similar drunken-like responses, as it was explained, when given the same dose of Depakote through an IV. 
The next morning, he still had no mobility in his legs, and his emotional state was declining rapidly. And after enough persistence, they granted me my wish and took him off the Depakote. It was unfortunate that it was not done without a degree of condescending treatment. Almost to the minute of the initial dosage, within six hours of stopping the medication, he could walk again. During this time, not only did he lose the use of his legs, but he also experienced negative psychological effects from the drug and became very depressed and anxious. After this situation, I saw the frustration and sadness in my son's eyes. He wasn't getting better. His teachers didn't believe him. The medicine the doctors gave him didn't work, and even they questioned the validity of his loss of mobility. I seemed to be the only one who knew him and was with him around the clock to notice the truth. When he asked me what we were going to do, I could not let him down, and there was no way I was going to tell him we were out of options. I knew that I must find another option. It was at this place in our concussion journey that the complete concussion protocol was created. I know that everyone's situation is different. However, based on our position, it was our choice to continue treatment without the use of psychiatric type medications and neurological drugs. Treatment options. It was at this stage of my son's concussion that we began to aggressively implement a natural approach to help his brain heal. In the second section, you will be given in detail the concussion protocol nutritional guidelines education and meal plan, along with complementing meditation and reconstruction exercises. I will not be covering medication, nor is any of this information meant to be taken as medical advice. This is intended for informational purposes only, and you should discuss implementing any program with your doctor. I'm going to show you the approach that I took with my son as another option, other than psychiatric medications and teach you how to implement this plan aiding the brain through the recovery process through the use of foods, vitamins, minerals, meditation, and reconstructional techniques. The beauty of using the concept of food as a natural approach is that it removes the harmful elements like possibilities of dependency and the side effects like those that were experienced with neurological drugs like in my son's case. Much research has been done to date showing the direct connection that certain foods can have on the brain. For example, insulin resistance, obesity, and glucose metabolic issues have all been linked to the development of Alzheimer's, dementia, memory, mood disorders, headaches, and depression. Reducing blood glucose levels and balancing insulin levels can be a very effective way to positively influence and reduce psychological symptoms associated with post-concussive syndrome without the use of psychiatric or neurological drugs. In addition to regulating blood sugar levels, increasing healthy fats is another way to help aid the brain in the recovery process. Incorporating a modified ketogenic diet is a very effective way to stabilize blood sugar levels, increase ATP or fuel for the brain, and regulate brain neurotransmitters. A modified ketogenic diet is a meal plan that focuses on increasing fat intake on a regular basis. In the upcoming chapters, you will be taught a specific type of ketogenic diet that focuses on increasing quality healthy fats and efforts to regulate blood sugar levels, offer an alternate source of energy, or ATP, through the production of ketones, help the brain achieve polarity within the cells in order to reach homeostasis, 
and stabilize major neurotransmitter production. An Introduction to Ketosis Since the beginning of time, man has been equipped to survive. The body has an amazing mechanism which kept the human race alive during times of famine. This mechanism is the ability to turn body fat and metabolize fat, turning it into fuel. In normal metabolism, carbohydrates are converted into glucose and used to provide energy. Cells in the body use energy in the form of ATP. Under some circumstances, like in fasting, glucose is not available because a person is not eating enough carbohydrates to convert into glucose to meet the metabolic and caloric needs for the body. When this happens for survival, the liver converts or breaks down fat into fatty acids in ketone bodies that provides an alternate source of fuel for energy production to the entire body, including the brain. To sum it up, when you don't eat enough carbohydrates to produce energy for your body, your liver will use your fat storage and break it down into fatty acids and ketones to use for energy. This is why ketogenic diets are so effective for weight loss. The reason a modified ketogenic diet is used in the concussion protocol is to encourage the body to create ketones because of the benefit that they have on the brain, specifically as it relates to concussion recovery. We are going to focus more on a ketogenic diet and modified ketogenic diets in the next chapter. An alternate form of energy for the brain to use other than glucose is ketones. Regulating insulin levels, lowering blood sugar levels, and increasing healthy fats help to reduce and possibly avoid unwanted post-concussion syndrome symptoms. That is a completion of both Chapter 7 and Section 1. Next, we will begin Section 2, How to Feed the Brain, How to Eat to Help the Brain Heal After a Concussion, including a complete meal plan with recipes. The first chapter in Section 2 is Chapter 8, How to Help Your Brain Heal Through Foods. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. I hope you enjoyed that chapter out of the Complete Concussion Recovery Guide. Stay tuned. We are getting ready to launch, and we're going to keep giving you drips of information and soon answer your questions in person.